Welcome back to Beer Time with Books, another quarantine edition and another episode with our new guest. He made Hello. it back. I, I'm back. The long drive. <laughs> it's good to have you via the Zoom room. Looks like Danny's popping in as well. Hey, guys. <laughs> Fan- fancy meeting you here. In the virtual room, uh, a little reminiscent of the various rooms of the end of this book. <laughs> so reminiscent of. <laughs> way, way to tie that in. That was real smooth. I'm excited to get into all of that. Corey is going to be doing the summary once we get past our classic corners and what a summary it is we'll be getting into specifically that section of the book should be a good time Uh, but in the meantime we're hitting up the classic what are you drinking and I think this one's going to be interesting because there are a few beers that are almost the same but not quite (laughs) So who wants to start with some, what are you drinking this evening? I mean, I'm the most boring. Uh, I'm still with the Boulevard Wheat since I have not purchased any alcohol in 2020. So still still going with the old case that I got in the basement. Perfect. And that's what you had last time. We're, we're carrying that wheat over and you inspired us. Uh, so Corey's with the regular wheat. Uh, this is Brian and... Boulevard had recently released a variety pack of their wheat where some of them have uh, a fruit infusion in them. Uh, And so we got that pack finally. We've been looking for it in the store. They have a, well, I'll let Jamie say hers, but one of them is a kiwi. So it's Boulevard wheat with kiwi. And I thought it was going to be just a little touch of kiwi, but it is pretty (laughs) robust it's like fruit juice <laughs> it's very fruity and i it, i thought it was going to be like more beer than like what a rattler is i'd say it's like a similar juice level to a rattler if not maybe a little bit more especially on the kiwi one but that's what i'm going for tonight so that's two for the wheat and this is jamie uh and as brian said we got that variety pack so i have also a flavored wheat but it is grapefruit and it's great i like it i love grapefruit in beer i think it's a nice compliment yeah i think of the two i like the grapefruit more yeah are they like sourish no um not in my opinion i mean like in that in the sense that those fruits are a little bit tart (laughs) sure but not like a sour sour got it uh this is danny i'm also boring i'm drinking what i had last time the twisted logic ipa from defiance brewing company so they've got a sick can also two uh, repeats I'm, I'm showing everybody but it's so cool <laughs> so we're I'm we're really fan. keeping it midwest uh for this beer selection today I've seen a few people on Instagram on the beer side because they follow anybody that has beer in their name. So we get a few coming our way. Beer Time with Books on Instagram. that They get like beer shipped in from different breweries and they get a little bit more 
um, exotic, I'd say, with mm-hmm. with those packs. So that might be worth um, choosing in the meantime. But yeah, a couple new beers on this one, and then also let's run into uh, some recent media. So Corey, yours last time was uh, a bigger timeline to choose from, but now that you have an episode under your belt, uh, what's some recent media you've been consuming since the last episode? Ooh, I don't know if this is like a trap based on everything that's been going on. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of it's been educational. But in the, you know, when I want to just unwind, I've been getting into JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. <laughs> I don't know if how many people are familiar with it, but it is memed a lot on the Internet. And I just had to see what it's about. And it's basically an, an action anime. There's very little depth. The first 10 episodes are very tough to get through, but after that, it's a really enjoyable ride. Nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, for me, the similar thing, just to kind of keep this episode in its place, definitely since the last episode, a lot's been going on in the country um, since what had happened in Minneapolis with George Floyd. And as Corey had mentioned, I think we've all kind of been taking some time to read some educational material and um, just kind of embrace what's going on and learn a little bit more about, you know, our fellow countrymen um, in a time that it really feels like those voices should be elevated. So for me, um, I'd put it on Instagram, but Ta-Nehisi Coates, Between the World and Me, I'd just seen that on some uh, book lists and I'd picked that up um, last weekend and you know, just the perspective of him coming up in his education um, and kind of looking for role models that maybe weren't always present, uh, among other things. It was just very eye-opening. And um, as I had said on Instagram, Toni Morrison had said, who I'm also listening to, Beloved, uh, on audiobook, but she said it's required reading, and I think that it uh, really is. It's, it's quite um, well done. And so I've been getting into that, and then I just want to shout out for one of the shows that we finished since last time, uh, Nathan For You. Mm. We had watched Nathan For You, um, which was on Comedy Central with <laughs> Nathan Fielder. Um, and it was a wild ride, basically. It's an just, insane show. Just a quick sum up to, to get through my portion here. Is he just, like, goes to small businesses to help them out and, like, usually terrible ways under the guise of like he went to business school (laughs) and that's the only qualification that he has and the final episode actually moved away from that format and turned into like this hour and a half long documentary instead of the normal format it was just like the craziest season finale just in terms of like what the show actually is and what the season finale was um it was incredible and apparently the year that we didn't go to true false because of weather he showed it at true false uh so he had just shown this like really random documentary of one of the um, people that he had had on his show previously following this really weird chain of events and it was kind of heartwarming kind of weird uh and a great ending to the show so shouts out to nathan for you <laughs> all right uh this is jamie um I don't know. Since the last episode, I finished reading Where the Crawdads Sing, um, which I was pretty meh about, I'll be honest. It's it's a fun story, but, like, 
I, I, here's the thing. Before I read this, I heard Brian and his mother talking about it, and they were talking about, like, the ending and the last page, and, like, you don't know what's going to happen. And I guessed what was going to happen, like, forever ago. <laughs> and I, and so when I got to the last page, I was like, that's it? Okay. Like, it was fine. Um, I also read a poetry collection called Counting Descent by Clint Smith that I really, really loved. Um, I think everybody should read it. It's also about race in America and coming of age in America. Um, and it's just really beautiful, like really easily digestible poetry, modern, like contemporary poetry that I really enjoyed. Um, and I've started like four other books also that I'm all like 30 pages into because that's the kind of person that I am. Um, and Brian and I are watching the new season of Queer Eye. <laughs> That's about it. I've never heard of Nathan for you ever. I have. I don't even. I have no context for that show. But I just <laughs> looked it up, and the first thing that I saw was that one of his suggestions was creating. A coffee shop called Dumb Starbucks. Yes, and, and it made national that's, news. The, the, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that he, was a that was a quality was, episode. Uh, it's legal under parody law to use their <laughs> copyright. <laughs> it's a great that's episode. Phenomenal. You should watch Nathan for you. Yeah, it's good. But yeah, in the meantime, on that show. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. He's, he's had a he's had a best selling book and a clothing apparel line that's still so, like, actual things have happened from that that show. clothing line still uh is running even after the show and they actually donated their profits recently um, to, like, yeah to to help the cause over the last couple of weeks which is fantastic so yeah it's it's an amazing show it i just i don't know it's amazing but in the meantime danny what have you been getting into over the last couple of weeks um, I've also been reading a lot. Um, I um, read Trick Mirror by um, Gia Tolentino. There, uh, I think there's nine essays. She's a writer for The New Yorker and just like a general kind of like popular millennial TM. Um, she's, <clears throat> I really like her voice. Um, and she just has a really, uh, I, I like the way she writes. So I, I recommend Trick Mirror. Um, and I also just started, I've been tearing through this book by Brandon Taylor called Real Life. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a fiction book um, about a black queer man who um, is going to graduate school, uh, I think at the University of Wisconsin. Um, and I mean, it's just like insight into his life and his like white friends and he's studying biochem, I think. And um it, it, I don't know, it's like very, uh, it delves into like trauma and race and um, I'm, I started, I got it from the library yesterday and I'm almost done. Um, it's just, I, I couldn't put it down. Um, so I recommend that one too. Um, and, uh, oh, I, I also started uh, The Great on Hulu. Um, it's, an, it's a series about Catherine the Great. It's like a it's like a comedic period drama, um, way more comedy than like drama really, and it's hysterical. It's so fun, like it's it's just like absurd, and it plays on like, like, like 
exaggerated, like, stereotypes, like, and, like, she gets a bit, like, there's bears just wandering the castle in, in, like, they're in Russia, and, like, it's just, and it's just so (laughs) funny, but it's, like, kind of educational also, and, like, you can kind of, like, dig through, uh, dig through, like, the kind of the, the comedy and, like, find the history, and then also they have an episode where they, like, fake invent the Moscow Mule because they're in Russia. It's, anyway, it's really funny. It's only ten episodes, um, and I'm already eight episodes in. I just started a few days ago. It's really, really good. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, and I started a podcast called um, Rabbit Hole um, about what the internet is doing to us. <laughs> and it's kind of scary. But it's really good. <laughs> nice. Well, with that, a few decent things to check out in there. But we have our own rabbit hole to go down <laughs> right now with Good the one. second half of Steppenwolf by Herman Hess. <clears throat> I listened back to the last episode and I said Hesse when introducing it, even though I said the correct way to pronounce it at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. Herman Hess's Steppenwolf. Also- looked it up and like there I there are allegedly several different like I've heard Hesse or Hesse also like in a pronunciation guide well so. just like Hermine or Hermione <laughs> we're gonna go, leave it to the user but we're gonna pass it over to Corey uh, because he was the one that had uh, brought this to our attention for the podcast so Corey we're gonna toss it over to you to get discussion started with a little bit of the summary of the second half of Steppenwolf. Yeah, so where we left our buddy, Harry, uh, he had just met this intriguing woman. Um, you know, he was compla- He was very desolate, and he was com- contemplating suicide, and this woman just mystified him. And it just opened up his world, almost. So after he meets this woman he basically his whole life changes like he's now like going out he's dancing he is laughing he's doing all these new things and trying to come to terms with what that means for him and if like this is his new purpose and all these little rabbit holes as you mentioned uh (laughs) follow Inclu- is that is that, a, is that a, well including this the very end of this can you give us a, a, like the briefest summary of that <laughs> the very end there okay so the the woman that he meets uh tells him at at one point that um she says i'm gonna do i'm gonna make you fall in love with me and then i'm gonna ask you to do something and you're gonna do it and he's like what's that and she's like you're gonna kill me and he's like all right <laughs> and then it, nice. it, it literally was he's that more easy like, he's more like i knew it i knew that yeah <laughs> yeah he, he was mr know-it-all about this girl um and so then i mean the end of the the end of it is just i don't know what to make of it because i don't know if it's drug induced or if it just all of a sudden turned into some fantasy realm yeah and we but can get into it more in the discussions if you yeah. want to talk about that but just like even you know just getting up to where we where we get to there yeah so i mean just just to briefly state it he goes into some like weird magic fun house and kind of explores like different aspects of his life and then you know tries to come to terms with you know should i live this out or should i still kill myself 
<laughs> what a choice, Harry. What a choice. <laughs> so yeah, um, where do we where do we want to start with this? Because you know, it really feels like Jamie and I had just briefly mentioned this. If if our section had been moved over a mere two pages, it literally would just be like this totally different half. If we hadn't met. Uh, I don't. Did we ever decide on how to pronounce her name? We said Most whatever. Of us said Hermione. 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 So <laughs> Hermione. So you know, if we if we hadn't, I looked it up. <laughs> I'm sure. I think it's we Hermine, were saying both. But... I think we were saying both. So you know, it just felt like two totally different halves here, um, and something that you know had come to me a little bit after thinking about that is we had all these dichotomies. Do you think that this halfway split? was a purposeful thing given how this story was written or do the details of the back half kind of dispel that just you know i, I just kind of want to get your guys's thoughts on how the story had changed and how you kind of perceived that and how uh you liked it in comparison to what the story was before I, that's an astute observation actually you got a little right brain left brain going on Corey, I got the astute <laughs> stamp again. <laughs> don't, encur- don't encourage him. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, it, it, like those are those are the thoughts that happen, uh, and and for a man to be able to, and I'm talking about Herman Hesse, the author, for him to be able to write both in the same book, I feel like was, I mean, it might have been a challenge, but at the same time, it, it seemed like it was paralleled to his own mindset in a way. So I think every everyone within us has some degree of this balance. I don't know about you all, but... Yeah, I don't know. We talk about... Like, we also... Like, we talk about how we divide these books. Like, they're, it's arbitrary. Like, we just divide them in half. And, like, this was very on the nose, I feel, for, like... For, like, out of all of the books that we have divided in half, this was, like you know, within, like, a page or two, uh, it was, like, kind of, like, turned on a dime a little bit. So, I don't know. I, uh, I don't know that, I don't know that it was, like, intentional to be so exact, um, but there, it definitely feels like, uh, he wanted to almost, like, give us equal, um, like, equal halves, kind of, like, like, equal experiences for, uh, how we met him, and then like how he like lived kind of this new life with Ermin, um for uh, for like the the whole second half, you know. Yeah, and I think that you know it was something that we had kind of talked about just because we had only had that brief hint at the end of the first section of like, what are your predictions for the second half? You know, we had kind of alluded to like, yeah, it'll probably be more fun. Um, it was a lot more fun, in my opinion. You know, we had kind of been like, oh, you know, she'll be around. He'll be dipping his toes into it. Um, but, you know, the the back half is filled with so much music and, and so much dancing and so much socializing. And, and sex and orgies. <laughs> <laughs> so many. There were, like, multiple orgies and drugs also. Yeah, and, you know, we were talking about in the first half how many, I think, to, to quote Corey roughly, you know, there were only like three, if you're talking in a summary sense, like three verbs of like things that were done. 
and one of them was thinking, you know, <laughs> like, like reading. Yeah, thinking, reading, yeah. and and whatever else. And I think the book really opened up a lot. And this is just something that you know I've thought over time with a lot of books that I've read is this stubbornness to keep going because I don't even think that there was even within the preface and maybe you guys have a different um, thought on this that I don't even think there was much of a hint on how much this book was going to open up within the preface even getting introduced to you know this other character that visits Harry in his house this was something that I just had no um nothing to lead me to think that this book was going to change in in any way and i think what i had said last time is that i thought it was just going to be this philosophical text only where it's just a man's musing only um and i think that i almost got more out of what those thoughts were supposed to like signify and maybe pass on to you as a reader through you know, all of these actions that were taken as opposed to just talking about it in the first half. Uh, and, and, and I enjoyed it a lot more, but, um, yeah, just curious on, on any other thoughts on that. I'm, I think that I, I think I agree with you if I'm understanding what you're saying, but I, I'm confused. I know that this was published a long, a long, long time ago. But I'm confused as to why the first half is so unbelievably dry. Like, I, it gets into such an interesting story, and I feel like we could have gotten there much quicker. Like, the, the Steppenwolf manifesto, like, little booklet that he gets on the street at the beginning that, like, tells him about his life is so long. And it was the thing mm-hmm. that turned me off in the first half because it was it just went on forever and it was just like philosophical musings that, that were very repetitive for like 50 pages. I feel like it could have been three. <laughs> and so I, I am confused about the trajectory of the story, like why that took up so much space when I agree that I think that the action that happens in the second half like has a lot of the same message but in a much more interesting way um and i don't know how much like editors were a thing in <laughs> when the it was 1800s. just purely nobody he didn't have anyone telling him to shut up so he was just like yeah i don't know this is what i think i don't actually think that but it's, I, maybe it's possible <laughs> yeah i don't know i just feel like if this were published today an editor would have been like hey um you go on about this for a really long time. Maybe let's cut it back a little bit. I mean, I feel like the only thing I can think of is that, like, he's just trying to prove a point about, like, how much, how alone and in his head and how long he's been contemplating all of this, you know? Like, and and he's also, like, he's writing all of this down. Like, this is something that, that the nephew is reading like this is something that like like that Harry recorded and so I mean I don't know you could almost like make the argument that like Herman wasn't writing it like Harry was writing it and he I mean he just like kind of opined for like a long time and 
I feel like it's supposed to just, like, signify, like, how long he's been, like, kind of, like, dwelling in that, like, discontent and, like, frustration and sadness and all of those things. I don't know that it was very necessary. (laughs) But I I think that it did the trick. (laughs) We were lulled into a false sense of security, I think, in the first (laughs) first half. But, um, you know, he... uh, That's just where his headspace was, like you guys were saying. Plus, Jamie, we had to get to 50% to make it that, (laughs) that even split. But that's I, I don't. What I'm I, I like, subscribe it, to that. Actually, does it need though, to be fully that. I also think, though, there could have been more. Like, there could have been more about his lonely life in the first half that wasn't through that. Like, yeah, little manuscript there, he got on the street. Like, that's my there, more my complaint. More is that it's so much that. Like, and that's not. At least my understanding is not Harry's writing. Like, yeah. that's a little manuscript that he picked up no. and then he copied down fully. Yeah. That specifically, yeah, no, I... That's the I thing feel I have like, a problem with. But I... Well, I you go ahead, Danny. Just, I feel like that... we he Like, it goes on for so long and we learn shockingly little about his actual life. Like, for how long it goes on. We learn a little bit. But, you know, like, we don't... We don't learn a ton throughout the book about his like previous circumstances, right? Like he, he was talks married, about it. he had another lover kind of Right, but like we barely I just feel I feel like I don't know, I would have been interested to like know more about what made him so very miserable. Although I don't know, he talks about it kind of vaguely. I don't, I just feel like we he goes on for so long and that that manifesto kind of goes on for so long and we we don't learn very many specifics. Except for kind of just, like, a lot of going on about things. <laughs> yeah, and as far as his past life is concerned, I don't know if we learned about, like, a turning point. Because in the present, like, when we're reading the book, there is most definitely a turning point. But, yeah, it, it, his past is just, like, I guess he was always that way. Is that, is that yeah. what we're to surmise? Yeah, I will say though about the manuscript in particular, I'm not totally saying that the the length itself like that maybe more could have gone on to the backstory, but I think that like diving that deep into this strict dichotomy of you know, the the bourgeois man and the you know, wolf that's more primal like getting that deep into I suppose like the philosophy of that helped to me have the or helped make the end have more impact for me because it like broke the even that part of the book too like I think that it was uh, the, the first half not only in his unhappiness but also looking internally as well uh, into something that maybe would have been more difficult for Harry to surmise himself that like we get that aspect of it of like the very very internal as far as like the desires of the soul and then also like his societal place and his loneliness that helped like break both of those to some degree because I feel like even in the back half where we're getting 
this more exciting part it's breaking two things first when we get to Ermin and her getting him to dance and socialize like that was the first part of like Harry's like outward person and then we get into the theater which gets a lot deeper than that and even breaks out of a lot of what we were seeing with like things were black or white or fun and not you know it starts getting into a lot of more complex ideas that I think helped like be set up by that long detour into this Steppenwolf manuscript and I thought it helped make the end more impactful but maybe it did go on too long but I think that like in hindsight I liked it more and it made more sense to me after having gone through the second half I still think it could have been like three pages (laughs) I really I feel like it was so repetitive and I could have gotten the same ideas like I I feel like after reading so many pages of that in the first half I didn't come away with like a new understanding than I had in the first three pages of it (laughs) but maybe that's just me and that's okay no I mean I agree with you (laughs) (laughs) um and it doesn't mean i disliked it like looking back like i enjoyed the novel as a whole i just if i had been hesse's friend when he was writing this (laughs) i would have been like hey maybe you could cut out 10 pages here (laughs) do you think he had friends when he was writing this (laughs) i mean that's it's i feel like that's a legit question i don't know yeah i mean he doesn't he doesn't sound like he had friends. <laughs> like, just based on Harry's character, honestly. Like, if he identifies so strongly with Harry, like... Didn't didn't we say know. that there was something that he himself had specifically said that this was, like, based it's, in some, like, autobiographical way to his own life? It's described as his most autobiographical work, but I don't know By if him, he, though? I don't know if he said okay. that. But also, I think people, like inferred a lot inferred that like especially because um the hh thing yeah but also even um i read i read something that like um there were like other parallels with other characters that were like pretty obvious like um pablo the saxophonist was supposed to was like he represented a real person herman has he knew yeah i saw that and so like there were i mean i think there were things that um you know if he didn't want it to seem autobiographical, he could have tried a little harder <laughs> to, like, hide it. <laughs> and I, I don't think that he did. <laughs> right. So should we get into the, the, like, the finale of the book in, the, like, this, the magic room? Yeah, I would Because like I feel like there's a lot... Yeah, definitely. There's a lot to unpack there, and I think the most... So... So basically, he finds that um, he's he goes to some party. But stuff gets kind of fuzzy here because he's like he's looking for Hermione. He wants to like hook up, I guess. Um, and so, is it at the party where he finds a door and then like goes through, and then there's like all these other doors? Yeah, I he like, first, words. 
he he had for, to go to hell first. He had to go to hell. <laughs> he was given a little claim ticket at the coat check that said "Find Hermione in Hell" or something like that. And also and, the yeah. for Mad Men, the for Mad Men for thing Mad Men came only, back it up. It was yeah. on there, and he got a admission, whatever. But hell was like a basement room. Yeah, it was like another room. A a very well put together thematic room. There was a lot of effort (laughs) into this hell theme. Um, And then he finds Ermin, who is cross-dressing. And he can't... As Herman. As Herman. And he can't dance with her because she looks like a man. (laughs) And there's... So much in that to unpack alone that I was fascinated by, and like the sexual politics going on at the there was, that there dance. was so many it was so erotic for so many pages where he was just like, "I want to kiss and touch her, but she's a man she's she was like male presenting for like a few pages yeah, he's and like, then all she of a is sudden my best childhood friend and herman and but I want to make love to her. And, and then also, like, so much. A, a little bit like himself. I don't know. I feel like he saw a little bit of himself. I don't know. Uh, it was very, um, it was like, it, it was very, the whole scene, I feel like I could have pictured in, like, a movie as, like, an alcohol-induced kind of just, like, everything was, like, very hazy. There were, like, drugs involved. People were cross-dressing. Like, I feel like I could see it play out as, like, a movie scene very clearly. I think he did a really good job. I was about to say that it was Moulin Rouge. Yeah, Brian hates that movie so much. But it was definitely Moulin Rouge. Yeah. So so anyway, past that to get to the, the theater, though. Yeah, so they... Everything's happening, whatever. Eventually, Ermin leaves and comes back dressed as a woman in, like, a perfect, beautiful ball gown. Um, And they finally kiss while dancing. And then, basically, everyone leaves. And this part is a little foggy (laughs) of, like, how the three of them go to the, the theater. Which they have a name for. What is the name for it? The, like, um, the Magic Theater? Yeah, I magic think it was theater. just magic, the Magic yeah. Theater. Um, and I don't fully know how they get there, because it is just in the same building, I think. Right? Yeah, I think it's supposed to be unclear. I'm reading right now, and I just cannot even find... Like, well, we know that it's definitely whatever it is is in walking distance because in the first half he gets... He, he sees the sign for it and then gets directed to... <clears throat> Because I think this was in the same place that he'd even seen. Yeah. Met, met. Yeah, in the first place. Yeah. He says up. He says that Pablo took them upstairs. So okay. So it's in. I mean, it's in the same like vicinity. It's in the same building. It seems. Yeah. Yeah, and, then, and this is the moment where they're they're in a giant theater kind of that has like a horseshoe shape bunch of doors and mirror. And a mirror. Yeah, I was picturing it like a literal like funhouse. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, I like I couldn't because also there were so many drugs. He took some drugs, right, Pablo? I mean, I think that was at the beginning of the experience. Pablo had some cigarette of some sort, and a, and some beverage, a mysterious and a beverage. beverage as well. Yeah. Like, a quaint, I think... a, a quaint little bottle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, who knows what was in that. But I think uh, one of the notes that came with that uh, invite was, like, the cost enter is, like, your mind or something like yeah. that. So, 
you just knew whatever coming next was going to be a trip. <laughs> yeah, so that's, I think, the question here. Because we get into a lot of insanity when he goes up to the Magic Theater. Like, there's all these doors labeled with different things, and it's all stuff, like, related to his life. Um, and he goes through a few of them, and we see these vignettes. But how are you all interpreting this series of events like is it are are we saying purely hallucinations from the drugs are we does he actually kill Ermin? i can't decide i can tell my interpretation i i have not looked it up to know if there's any like weight behind it but i thought two things number one that hermine didn't even exist and it was just like a figment of his imagination because that's like a common trope. I wondered that too. I thought personally. about that. Yeah. yeah. And so, and then this the the funhouse and like since all the doors had memories on them, like listed on them, and he saw some. I I thought like, oh, his life is flashing before his eyes, and he's gonna he's gonna take his life right now. But I think so. To since that didn't ultimately happen, and he killed Hermine. Maybe he was just killing that side of him. And I, I don't know. We don't know what happens after that. So there's there's really not no like confirmation you can have. But that was my interpretation, which could be completely off base. Yeah, I think definitely because Pablo at the end, you know, this whole experience is kind of bookended with this cigarette. Mm-hmm that like it seemed to me to be like a guided trip like in the drug sense like i think that drugs were involved but i don't think that like the lessons here were not real or you know all these things that he was experiencing was not real because it seemed like pablo was upon realizing at the end you know where pablo is you know shape-shifting and like getting new faces but ultimately he is there at the end when things seem to chill out a little bit because we get to this climax with the killing of the real or not real ermine and then pablo's there at the end to be like you failed the fun house kind of like you you failed it he can't come back for 12 hours or something. <laughs> but then it also still bookended by this by this cigarette. And so, like, to me, it seems like, you know, it it's part of, like, a Pablo thing with the drugs. Yeah, and with the cigarette. At the end, he, like, puts the cigarette back in his yeah. pocket and also, like, shrinks Ermin and puts her in his pocket. Yeah, I thought she was fully... I, li- I I did think that Hermine was there and that he had killed her until the last page when Pop, when he says that Pablo took Hermine and shrank her and put her in his pocket. And then I was like, oh, that actually made me kind of rethink the entire last scene. And I was like, this was fully drugs. I mean, like... I like I wouldn't be surprised if the point was him just like he was just sitting in a room and just like tripping hard as fuck and like... <laughs> I mean, I really, like, thought I was... And and also, reading a little bit about it after the first half, like, a lot of people were critical of this book because of the very blatant way that that, that Herman Hesse, like, talks about and and very, like, um, like, aggressively, like, almost pushes, like, 
drugs and tripping. And like, I, I don't know. I, uh, I think that contributed a little bit um, because for a while I was like, oh, maybe there's doors. Maybe he's just like going into rooms but is hallucinating. I feel like he was maybe just like sitting in the room with Pablo and was just like on a really aggressive trip. <laughs> but also like this theater existed and like the idea of it existed like outside of all of that. And I, I feel like yeah. didn't they have the the uh, drink and the and the cigarette upon getting into the room anyway? So like yeah, that's kind I'm of I'm not denying the existence of the room. Yeah. But like all of the doors and everything and like Pablo still being this close acquaintance um you know there's just something about that and then also you know I just feel like there's something outside of that cuz also there was somebody outside of the theater at the beginning that like kind of led Herman to Harry. this or sorry Harry cuz they're the same person uh leading him into this path to eventually come back to the theater like he was intercepted somewhat on the street but that's like can we trust anything that he says if we're gonna get to the end and say that possibly Armin is totally a figment of his imagination can we trust any of this like he wrote this all down and we know that and then he just left so can we trust that any of that happens? Well, actually, to, to also talk about this, though, in the preface, I think we get some confirmation about her existence because it talks about the woman that comes to Harry's room twice. Oh, by a third party, yeah, by the, by, the tenant. By, which I think is an, an important thing as to why... You know, we were like, well, what was the point of the preface? But there was a woman coming to Harry's apartment occasionally before he met Ermine also. Like, do we know for sure that that's who that's referring to? Because he had kind remember, he had kind of that lover that he talks about at the very beginning. And then Ermine, when she first, like, gives him Maria, is like, I know you don't want to because you have this woman that you need to let go of in your mind. So I just don't know that we can, like... A thousand percent say that that is her. Well, either way, um, I, I do. I want to also touch on the dialogue with Mozart because, <laughs> yeah, it just like if you just throw that into the discussion, it's just well, like, wait, I what, love, Mozart. I love. I love Mozart. that Brian. Brian said something like, and then as we get to the end, when like things have kind of chilled a little bit, and like I look at the last page, and it's like, and then Mozart said, <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, oh. So we've chilled, but keep in mind that chilling means that he's talking to Mozart. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's almost like in the first half when he had that dream with Goethe, um, which like both artists in their own right, and both of them kind of criticized Harry for like his way of life. It's just like, hey, I, you appreciate us in our artistry, but you really don't get life man like you need to chill a little bit and you need to laugh more and art is not that serious and i thought there was actually like a very profound nature in that because um you know people can take art very seriously and then you know what does that say like how do they take life um in that regard and i i feel like that was his entire challenge this, this book was you know that the whole the wolf versus man 
like are you really gonna let the wolf just dictate your life or are you gonna you know be a man and actually live a life yeah and the interesting thing uh which that is a good point with Goethe and mozart both taking him down a peg i had kind of only thought about Mozart because it was more in our face at the end there, but that is an interesting point that both of them are like, hey, dude, you're doing this wrong. Uh, um, but what is kind of interesting, though, is like when bringing that up, because Mozart kind of like brings up the point about the laughter, that sometimes it feels sinister as well, though, because like a lot of the laughter was described as like terrifying. Like demented. And it's mostly coming from Pablo, right? And so, like, I, well, he heard it from, like, multiple sources to some degree. Like, uh, Mozart is laughing, too. He, distri- he describes it as, as uh, cold and eerie. Yeah, and so that's something that, like, I had, uh, like, that I felt like that was very purposeful, too. Like, like, that first layer of, like, hey, you're taking things so seriously, including our art, but, like, this laughter side of it. Like, it felt like there was more to it than just, like, a jolly, like, laugh to get by to some degree. I felt like it wasn't just, like, everything is, you know, as lighthearted. It's, like, don't take it that seriously, but also, like, I feel like they he had referenced that it is still serious, but, like, don't take it. I don't know. Like, that was an interesting point, too. I felt like Mozart came in and it wasn't just like, a, hey, man, chill out a little bit. <laughs> like, like there was... Yeah, he was, like, he was, like, being very critical. And, like, I mean, even during the laughter, like you were just saying, like, he, like, is, like, like, derisively, like, laughing at him. Like, almost being, like, why, like, you're such an idiot. It feels a little bit like Harry's kind of, like, subconscious is like creeping in and like he's now like very he's like bumming that like Goethe and Mozart have both like come in and been like you're an idiot <laughs> like they're kind of putting him down with like the way they're laughing at him yeah but like it also still didn't feel like a total takedown either because like the the interesting thing because you're talking about like Mozart does get into the last page which it's true like the chill part of it is that like all the other doors that we explored got into like the horrific nature of war and like relationships to others but like in the end it does even after all the sinister laughter like it doesn't make me feel like it's a total negative thing because like the very end is a very positive sentiment which was the most surprising thing in a book full of hallucinations and (laughs) Mozart popping in that like we didn't truly get either death that we were promised uh, either with Harry's suicide or with Harry's murder of Hermine and that it did end and like uh like try it again enjoy it more uh like that was also again like such a such a 360 at the very end of like whoa that's not what I was expecting but again I don't feel like it was something that the message was like everything's all good i think the sinister part of it and showing all these things is like there's still rough parts out there but like harry's way of dealing with it is a little too serious yeah Yeah, i feel like mozart 
acknowledges that in their conversation. He says something along the lines of, like, we're all born with guilt. You should know that, but, like, kind of you can live with it. Yeah. Like... He, he laughs at his... He mocks his religious education. He's like, any good school would teach you that you're <laughs> born with sin and guilt. Yeah. But. Yeah, I did save a quote um, that I liked, which basically sums up what Brian said. Uh, Mozart said to Harry that, learn what is to be taken seriously and laugh at the rest. Which is just a nice little... Like, you know, I, I said in the first half that, you know, I... I I complained about what are you leaving for me, like as a reader, like what what lessons are you leaving? And I thought that was a pretty good one there at the end. Like I, there there was actually many more takeaways, but that was like the main one. Yeah, and and it was nice that, like again, because this half and half thing I still subscribe to a lot because even at the end of the first half we got down to the point where like Harry was going down to the drags of like I'm killing myself tonight like I'm not even waiting to my birthday like it was at that level before he goes and gets this drink and everything changes and then like we it was like a steady day crescendo and then a steady crescendo up to this like very positive point which like was a very nice thing that I wasn't expecting but like I thought that that was an interesting trajectory too where it felt like very linear in those directions yeah it's hard for me to call the ending like wholly positive because I I understand the message is there and I probably Aramine is some sort of figment of his imagination but like he does stab her <laughs> like that is part of the end, and like. But he that... talks about her influence on him doing so, though. I know, but I still don't know that that's like fully positive. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I can call that fully positive at the end. Like he he goes through that room where he's like seeing all of his old lovers, and he's feeling good, and then he comes upon Pablo and Ermin together, like lying naked together, and he's. <laughs> He states that he's kind of, like, overcome with jealousy. But that's his failing, too. Like, that's what gets called out where, like, the positive part is the hope. Instead of, like, you have learned your lesson. It's just, like, you did it wrong. Let's try it again. And here's what to move forward with. Yeah, I get. I'm saying the messages. But you said, like, the whole second half was a a crescendo of positivity. And I disagree with that statement. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. I don't know if I agree with that just because, like, we were still getting to that point where, like, that was her dictation to him anyway. That doesn't make it positive. I think it is to me because of, like, the lessons that he's learning through this experience in the theater. Like, if we're going to a figment of your imagination type of conversation, like what he's going through here at the end is like finally getting these lessons in his face where like he's not actually affecting the people around him. It's just like him getting over this final hump. But that's just my opinion. I'm not saying that that's correct, but like (laughs) that's what it feels like to me because it feels so psychological that a lot of it is like here I'm, I'm as low as I can be. Oh, I'm interacting with people. I'm learning to enjoy things and now I'm, like, learning lessons on the final frontier within my own psychology. Like, that's kind of where it feels like 
that path is going. But that's that's just personal in this case. What do you guys yeah, think? I, I, I think that I agree with Brian. I feel like... I feel like I... Uh, I don't know. Like... It's almost like he's he's able to like learn all of these lessons like in a vacuum without consequence. Like he he kills Ermine, but like she she's not real. <laughs> and so then it's kind of just like like Mozart kind of confronts him and he's just like, I don't fucking know what's right. I'm trying to figure it out. And like it's not ideal that he stabbed her, <laughs> but like <laughs> but I don't know, I feel like uh I feel like he's just, like, trying really hard to, like, learn a lot of lessons. And even at the end, the last line, when he says, Pablo was waiting for me in Mozart, too. Like, I don't know. I felt like that was, uh, that felt very, <laughs> it felt very hopeful to me. I agree. It sounded the, very hopeful. I agree that the end feels hopeful. I guess what my question is, is, like, what, what does Ermin symbolize as a character or as a figment here like if she is the person who brings his life around like she's the one who kicked him into gear and said like get up off your ass and stop complaining and do things that are fun just because they're fun and then he murders her like what does that say even if she's fake and even if he learns something from it what does like is he killing that side of his personality is he what is he doing I'll let somebody else go in because I already said something. Unless you don't have, because I do have it's a. Th- you. No, I don't. I agree that that's bad. <laughs> like well, I agree well, that that doesn't look great. Well, I'll say this is like if we're even looking at because this is something I kind of alluded to earlier. That was an interesting point that like this whole novel we get like again only this comparison of like black and white the the primal with the bourgeois like the fun side and and the depressing side when we get into the actual uh, theater here and we start seeing that like there's so much more than that when he's like looking into the mirrors and he start getting this lesson with like the chess pieces for instance and and like when he does get presented with all of these different facets of himself and like how intertwined the wolf side is with the man side that it almost like dispels that you know it is only A or B and, like, part of it that I thought was interesting is, like, we're talking about the opposite parts of, like, Harry and Elmine is, like, we have most of the stuff with how fun she is and how, like, depressed he is, but they both have, like, this isolation aspect to them because it's not like all of her qualities were completely positive either because she had certain things where she's, like, some of the negative things that you've experienced I have – and, like, at a point in time where we met her where she was presented as a total opposite, to have that certain moment, especially, like, later on that section for her to explain those similarities, I felt like that was part of it that, like, the positive side is get ri- getting rid of maybe the negativity that, like, is still part that can hold back from, you know, the positive aspects of either. It was interesting that they both had, like, this negative aspect in relation to each other when everything else was so opposite. So, like, that could be something. It's just, like, a brief theory into it. But, like, I felt like that part was very telling that that was such a specific part of the second section where, you know, at the beginning it's like, we are exact opposites except for the point where they have this conversation where it's like, 
but in this regard, we are the same. Like, that was something to it. So, like, him killing her, like, that could be a part of him if she's, like, maybe not actually real. Like, killing the negative aspects of the, of the wolf, killing the negative as- aspects of Ermin, killing the negative aspects of, like, all these different stages of his life. It felt like that was kind of the journey we were going on to, and, like, he didn't reach it at the end because, again, Pablo, like, says he fails. But, like, to me, that's just kind of what I got away from it is, like, distilling away all these negative aspects to move forward with more hope. That's why it feels like a steady crescendo because, like, you're steadily knocking all those things off. But that's just, like, my my own theory on it because I felt like that part was kind of an important thing in the second half. I want to hear somebody else's. <laughs> I want to hear what Corey thinks. Yeah, I mean, it's it was just very difficult because well first off i just i'm averse to debauchery so it's just all (laughs) automatically (laughs) so um i don't know there was a feeling of like balance i think like instead of having two individuals like in separate bodies you know and i'm playing this as she was imaginary again don't know if that's true but if like let's say she was like that's that's not Harry. So in a way you have to make both of these things into Harry. Or I guess you just become Hermine or something, you know. It's like some you become schizophrenic to a point. And I mean his life almost was that entire way too because he was like all you know, like I'm I'm too good for this world. This like I'm not dealing with you. And now now he's like all drugs and sex and dancing like it was it was a shock to the system and he struggled with it like he was really like this like this is not who i am but like you could and he saw in the mirror there was the the wolf and the man were were tussling with each other so i mean i my interpretation was that it was becoming one like as harry yeah that's more succinctly put but i agree with that that like I think that they were all part of... I think that's what they were getting to, even with Ermin. Like, that that was an important part of, like, who Harry is. But with that, we do... Because we're just running out here... It's kind of hard, because this, like, last section hit so many areas. But we do have to kind of get into some final thoughts here, however we want to do that. Um, So this can be a total free reign of, like, any other loose ends to tie up any other interpretations um but we are hitting about the hour mark so like definitely flush it out as much as you want but we can just kind of (laughs) go go around from there does anybody want to start with anything i'll I'll just finish up um I, i i thought a lot about the beginning of the book and how i will perceive this book later in life you know that that was my whole um deal with in the first half and I mean, I, I don't even, I don't really think that anymore. I would like to read it later in life just to see what's up but it, and, and how it would affect me differently. But it almost encourages me to, like, not take moments for granted, you know, and, like, and to not take things, like, he took things so seriously and then went off the deep end. And I've seen that with friends, you know, like, you have a straight-edge friend 
and then they get a taste of alcohol and then next thing you know they're, they're like really into it it's it's like sad to see so you need balance in your life and that's kind of what i'm hoping to take away from this cool anybody else want to go i want to talk about i don't know if any of you did the required listening that i sent we, I hope we did that you did we did so one thing that he taught, like the only reason that I bring this up is because Mozart's opera Don Giovanni was brought up, like was talked about quite a bit. And the last scene of Don Giovanni, no spoilers, you should see it, um, is that like the, the womanizer, Don Giovanni, is like being dragged to hell. He's getting his. Like karma is, like he is, and it was interesting to me that like Harry's sort of like identified a little bit with, like, he brought this, like, this, um, very, like, um, I don't know, like, this, this opera with a lot of, like, symbolism, like, and, and obviously, like, it's very, um, I don't know, some of it's very obvious, because, like, Don Giovanni gets literally dragged to hell, and, like, that he goes to hell in the building, like, it's very, like, part of it is, like, very easy to, like, see, but I, I don't know, like, it was just very layered, I feel like I, like, like, you could just go into the way that he compares himself almost to the main character of of the opera. And then also, like, he talks to Mozart for so long. He talks to Goethe for so long. It's almost like a, like a don't meet your heroes <laughs> kind of thing. Because, like, he met them both, and then they were both just kind of, like, D- chill. Like, could you just, like... I don't know. I just really liked how, like, he alluded to... He alluded to the opera. He alluded to... Um, like kind of uh like identifying with like the main character of that opera in um in different ways and then also just like I liked the extended scenes where he talked to Goethe where he talked to Mozart because like it was just like almost a reflection of it it wasn't like when you think about meeting the people that you admire and you're like oh they probably think that I'm like so great they probably think that I'm they admire the way that I admire their works and they both kind of like shot him down and I kind of I don't know I liked that he had a little bit of his subconscious had a little bit of self-awareness and was kind of just like he was like telling his own self to like chill out and like not take things so seriously seriously so maybe that I don't know maybe he had it in him like the whole time I don't know I don't have that many final thoughts because this last section was so dense that like I am overwhelmed (laughs) Uh, but I tore through the second half faster than I thought I was going to. I, like, I don't know. I finished it, like, days ago, and um, I really enjoyed it. Um, I, yeah, Danny, I agree with your sentiment of, like, I don't know how many final thoughts I have, because I feel like there's so much to delve into in that last chunk of text, and I don't know that I am there yet (laughs) I finished this today so I I'm still processing what happened at the end um but I agree the second half was uh more enjoyable much easier to read I think than the first half I um I liked it like I as a story I I thought it was enjoyable um I would like to read more analyses of what people think is happening here. Because also, again, we talked about last episode how 
Hesse said that this was his most misunderstood work. So maybe none of us understand it. Which is it. so, like, it makes so much more <laughs> sense because then the first half it was like, okay, I get it. Yeah. And the second half was like, it's not even fair to think people should. Yeah, <laughs> to, like, I don't... To, to some degree. I don't know that any of us have any grasp because he claimed that no one understood it. So, um, I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. I liked reading it. I will probably read another... Hesse, we have Siddhartha, um, and I've never read it. So, yeah, that's that's all I've got. Yeah, I I definitely think, you know, some of the discussions here, it's not even to assume that any of us know anything about it. I think that that's part of what's cool about the ending is, like, there could be so many interpretations, and I doubt that any of us are correct, especially, again, given that he had said it's his most understood, and now it's very obvious as to why. Um but what I will say is, you know, I still think that it felt positive overall to me, not in the fact that, like, I thought that Harry had an overall, like, happy ending, per se, because, again, I still, like, call it back to, like, Pablo saying, you, you done fucked up, you did it wrong, but, like, here are lessons to learn, keep trying and like kind of moving him away from giving up and just being like, it's tough, but it's not that tough. You know, the laughter that continued to come up. I just felt like that was something that was nice to not have a happy ending that was necessarily tied with a bow. Like, I feel like maybe we were halfway there, but it felt better to me because it was trending upward. I think that that's part of it that makes me like, say this happy ending thing not in the fact that like harry has peaked but the fact that he's getting there i think that that was what was such a nice part about it but i do think this is something i'd have to read again because a lot of it was just uh it, it was just hard to to take all of it in because i think some of the ideas especially um with some of the more mystical elements were were things that are that I don't have that much understanding of. And then the last thing I'll say, I, I tried to look this up, um, but I had watched all of BoJack Horseman recently. The show ended this year, and there is an episode in the final season that was very evocative of of this last section in um, Steppenwolf, which was kind of interesting. I tried to look up if there were any interviews with any of the writers or the showrunner anything and I didn't see anything but it was kind of a similar like surrealist theater experience and a similar message going forward of like here are the things that are wrong you have done wrong but like the hope is is that you can keep trying like that was essentially what it is um so that was kind of interesting and i i definitely recommend bojack um and once you get to that episode you'll definitely know what i'm talking about but that was just something that i didn't see online that i i found as a big uh connection there but yeah i i definitely read more um hess has anybody read any any of his other books yeah no, no but i i no. want to read siddhartha now yeah yeah, I think I'd definitely be be down to do that. Um, it's but yeah. super short. 
Overall, overall, I really liked it, and it, it surprised me in the back half um, from the front. So good choice, Corey. Yeah, I, I mean, from the first half, I was really scared that I'd <laughs> give you guys a dud. But yeah, turned I, it was better than I thought it would be too. So yeah, so cool. And with that, um, the last thing we have to do here that we had talked about is we're gonna briefly. Uh, Corey won't be joining us next time. Corey, we do hope you uh, join us on the podcast again. It was nice having you on uh, after yeah, all this time. Yeah, I'd love to be back, yeah. Um, but with that, we are now going to present what our next three books are going to be. So as we had mentioned, the way these seasons are set up as we do, uh, the first three are chosen by the three of us. It goes me, then Jamie, and then Danny, and then our fourth one, which is where Corey has joined us, is where we kind of have a community pick. And thanks to Corey on this one. And now for the back half, we're going back around for the three of us to close out the second season. So we're going to go ahead and go around and and say our choices. So uh, for next episode, um, this is going to be my pick. And we're going to do Omen Setter's Luck by William H. Gass. And uh, I told you guys this, but just for everybody... Um, listening, I'd seen it described as kind of like a Midwest Gothic, which I think will be an interesting um, comparison to some of the Southern Gothic that we have read. So that'll be uh, for next episode. <laughs> um, and then my pick is The Master and Margarita by Mikhail Bulgakov, um, which is a classic of... Everybody's laughing at me. Jamie looked up how you, to pronounce the name so many you, times. You said <laughs> it has so to be con- right. Huh? You said it's you said it so confidently. It was I looked up how to pronounce it. I I know and it was so confident. <laughs> <laughs> it's a classic of Russian literature. Um and I I know that it's very, very controversial. Um, it wasn't published until after uh, the author died because he like couldn't safely publish it, and it's like a massive <coughs> critique of Soviet life. Um, but also the plot... The only thing I know about the plot is that the devil comes to Moscow. So <laughs> I'm, I'm pumped. Bring hell back, baby. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my uh, my pick is Oryx and Crake by Margaret Atwood. Um, I wanted some other Margaret Atwoods, and they unfortunately didn't meet the uh, page criteria that we have sort of chosen uh, for this podcast. Uh, but I'm excited. Uh, this was sort of Jamie's wreck um, to me, and um, I'm excited to read a uh, non-Handmaid's Tale-related Margaret Atwood. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, we have wrapped up the fourth book of the second season. We are over halfway through our second season, which is pretty nuts. Uh, again, we appreciate Corey coming on. We need somebody to scat us out. <laughs> <laughs> Corey, because you were so willing last time, We'll give you the choice. You went above and beyond. If, if none of you have heard the end scat of last episode, definitely go back and give, and give that a lesson. So we'll we'll leave it up to you if you want to scat or not. All right. Uh, everyone pick a number between 1 and 10. <laughs> Jamie, 
Six. Brian. Four. Danny. Seven. Uh, it was five. So, all right, between <laughs> Brian and Jamie. <laughs> Rock, paper, scissors, no shoot. Rock, paper, scissors. Okay. <laughs> that's, <laughs> me. that's me. We will catch you next time. Bye. Bye.